fact that, you know, AI, the great hope, could make things worse. The fact that research into population health discriminates against black people, the fact that careers are blighted simply because of the colour of the skin is unacceptable. Last week, the BMJ published its first special edition into racism in medicine. The issues tackled range from differential attainment in medical school to the physiological effects that experiencing everyday discrimination can have. The issue was guest edited by Victor Adbawale, the chief executive of the social care enterprise Turning Point, and Marla Rao, Professor of Public Health at Imperial College London. And they, along with many guests, including Simon Stevens, Chief Executive of the NHS, were at the launch event held in BMA House. And here are some highlights from the talks that happened at that event. Firstly, Victor and Marla summarised some of the things affecting ethnic minorities in healthcare, outlined in the special issue. The thing, the thing that brings me, that brings all this together for me, all the individual, all the stories, all the articles in here, is about leadership, and, and that's why I'm glad that Simon's here actually, because Simon, will remember the first time we met, the first time we met, the first thing, almost the first thing I said to him was, "Look, Simon, you, you know, um, I think you're great and everything, but um, <laughs> no, I still do, I still do, um, and I, I, I still do." but you need to deal with racism on your way in, not on your way out. And to be fair, you've had a crack. There's a lot more that needs to be done. I'm standing in front of the workforce race equality uh, team, four people, right? Four people, it took us over a year to get you in place. You've got a budget of two million quid. The only organization that contributed to the delivery of the race is NHS England. I think that's outrageous. I'll be honest, I think it's outrageous. This is a system issue, so the system needs to contribute. It cannot be left to one organisation. As powerful as that organisation is, that is unacceptable. In 2014, I wrote a report on um, likely explanatory drivers of uh, low, lower levels of black and minority ethnic well-being in the broader population, and Victor launched it in the House of Lords. I had mentioned a study which looked at, um, you know, heart attacks. Bangladeshi patients and white patients recognized their heart attack. They, they, they took a similar amount of time to get to the hospital. But when they got to the hospital, the Bangladeshis took twice as long to get clot-busting drugs compared with the white population. And I, I remember that. I mean, I, I, I bet if we go back there, that hasn't improved. And we've got a lovely article here about maternal health and... and all the worries and problems about that, and the fact that it's hugely greater, the, the, the maternal death rate among um, um, you know, black mothers compared with uh, white mothers, uh, even in this country where we have this wonderful e equality of service in, 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 in one respect, the NHS which serves us all. Um, and and in, you know, then, then if we go on to uh, health conditions, of course, on top of all of that, there is this higher burden of disease, whether it's cardiovascular health or mental illness. 
and a whole host of things where you know, we find that the uh, black and minority ethnic population um, um, has, to, uh, has to somehow manage this higher burden of disease in, in, in their communities. So um, race equality actually matters to us all because at the, at the end of the day, 84% um, of the population is white. And we must remember that you know, if, if, we've ha if we have valued, respected, motivated, engaged staff, then it's good for 84% of our white uh, population and for our 16% that's our black and minority ethnic population. So the business case for the NHS is well made. Victor talked about it. The, um, you know, the uh, uh, um, 2019 NHS long-term plan commits to tackling growing health inequalities. And so it is in that context that we must take race and race equality extremely seriously. One key theme that runs across all of the articles is a lack of data on which uh, you know, we can build, we can be confident of um, actions we propose. Um, one um, bit of evidence which we know has been compelling in terms of um, stimulating action has been the Workforce Race Equality Standard, uh, which, which thanks to Simon and uh, you know, the, the, the lovely res team that I work with is now five years old and already we have trends with, with, with res. And, and that means that chief executives are beginning to take it very seriously and do something about it. John Nagpal, chair of the Council of the British Medical Association, pointed out that to reach government targets for recruitment of doctors in the NHS, the UK is going to have to reach out to international medical graduates and try and bring them into the system. And that, at the moment, the NHS gives them very little support to integrate into it. I want to also just say a little bit about IMG's international medical graduates. So we know that now there are more doctors coming from abroad uh, to work in the NHS, more doctors from abroad registered on the GMC register last year than homegrown doctors. Uh, and that's really important. We, we really should realise that we would collapse if we didn't have uh, IMG doctors and the immense contribution they place uh, in our health service. Uh, so I do find it very unfortunate when uh, we don't provide IMGs with the support they deserve. I don't think any of us can, can really realise or experience what it must be to leave your, your family back home, to actually have to buy a house, navigate a system here, even try and understand the NHS. It's, it's difficult enough for all of us. Uh, and then to feel isolated when things go wrong and, and, and then if that's your experience in the NHS, I think we're doing something drastically wrong. You know, it costs a, a quarter of a million pounds to train a medical student. So if we're to spend a little bit of money in providing them with proper induction, that's a really small price to pay. And, and what they get now, I think it's a half a day uh, at the GMC and some trusts provide a little bit of uh, induction. If you go to the um, UAE, for example, uh, you get about a one or two months uh, induction before you can actually start to see patients. Earlier, Malarau mentioned the Workforce Race Equality Standards. And Simon Stevens, Chief Executive of the NHS, talks about some of the things that their latest report has found. What the RES report today shows is that on some of the core 
um, processes, HR processes, if you like, as to what it's like to be a BME member of staff across the NHS. Uh, there has been some clear progress. The likelihood that uh, BME staff relative to white staff will get shortlisted for jobs, the likelihood that you will get uh, training uh, opportunities, uh, the likelihood that you will avoid um, formal disciplinaries. Uh, but the reality, I'm afraid, in terms of the lived experience of BME staff across the NHS does not tell that story at all as yet. So uh, either that is that these processes are lagged to the uh, experience uh, in reality, or it's that these are completely inadequate for the broader change uh, that we require. And I tend to suspect that it may be the latter, sadly, rather than the former. And so I think part of the uh, point here is to say, although this discussion is focused particularly on uh, doctors and racism in the NHS, um, the reality is that actually this is a much broader issue across the workforce as a whole. And you think about the composition of the uh, English NHS, uh, about uh, one in five uh, staff across the country are from a BME uh, background. Uh, in the case of uh, doctors, uh, it is two in five. Uh, so we've got a higher proportion of our medical workforce uh, who are from a BME background than from the rest of the NHS, and we've obviously got big differences across the country. But I think it would be too narrow a lens to look solely at what's happening to doctors as staff of the NHS without looking at that broader context. So that, I think, is the sort of first obvious point to make. The second, if you go upstream of it, and maybe we'll uh, talk about the experience of coming into medicine, going through medic medical school, going through training, again, we've got to be careful not to be uh, too narrow in our lens there. Because if you look at the work that the Office for Students has been doing around racism in academia, in the round, a lot of the patterns that we see specifically in medicine are those same patterns that are experienced by BME students, whether they're doing history, uh, sociology, physics, or medicine. And just to sort of put some numbers around that, because I don't think this point is perhaps drawn out as comprehensively in the uh, BMJ issue, uh, the... Uh, there's an uh, issue about getting onto courses. There is a completion uh, difference between uh, BME and non-BME students across all uh, courses in English higher education for first degrees. And if you look at a time when there's a big national debate about grade inflation, firsts and two ones, um, the, there is a, um, uh, the proportion of white graduates in English universities uh, getting first or two ones, upper seconds are 82% versus 60% for black students and 72% for Asian students. And even when you standardize for initial A-level attainment, uh, there is a seven percentage point difference uh, between white and black students, even if both groups had A-star or double A's uh, entering university. So the point is there's a bigger thing going on in the university sector of which sadly the medical schools uh, and subsequent uh, advancement also need to be in our, in our gaze. And then I suppose the third thing I would say in addition to uh, doctors as part of the wider workforce and students uh, in medicine as part of the wider uh, academic environment uh, is that we've got to think about uh, race in the NHS in the context of racism in the country as a whole. So none of that is to uh, in any way stand back from the fact that we need to take specific concrete action for doctors working in the NHS. One big theme from the meeting was education. 
both how ethnic minority students are disadvantaged when it comes to getting into medical school, but then are also less supported when they do get there. Chan Magpul, again chair of the Council of the BMA, spoke about how negative experiences in medical school can colour a doctor's whole career. It's that very first memory of or that first experience when you, you train to be a doctor. Imagine the years you spend passing exams, giving up your summer holidays when others are uh, uh, preparing for those uh, uh, exams, and you finally get into medical school. Uh, you want to become a doctor. You're, 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 you're told about the ideals of a system based on equal treatment for patients. And then, if you happen to be a BAME medical student, you experience uh, um, a lack of inclusivity. You, we've got the stats to show increased levels of harassment, um, less likely to attain. Uh, and, and those memories, if that's the, the beginning of your career, it doesn't bode well. And what you actually find is that, they, that, that medical students have that sort of ingrained expectation. And then you can begin to see the lack of uh, attainment. Uh, and because we've also heard from Catherine Wolfe that it is about uh, learning, is a networking effect. It is about working with peers. It is about feeling included. And therefore, your, the rest of your career is affected by those very earliest memories. So I really want to congratulate our Medical Students Committee for their work. They're represented here. But the other thing is also to start before you come into medical school. We don't have equal opportunity. And that's why we're doing a lot of work on widening participation. So if we are going to be talking about racism, let's start before you even enter medical school. Ululade Obadari is a third-year student in Nottingham and spoke about her experiences of being at medical school and the work that students themselves are doing to tackle racism. After her, you'll hear Victor Adebowale again. What's really important to highlight is that a lot of work is being done in the, amongst the student body to try and tackle differential attainment in whatever way that they can. And similarly, a lot of work is being done within the members of staff. But then you find that there is a gap in between that. And what we need is a, a more collaborative effort between both the members of staff and the student body in which they can come together, they can hear both sides of the argument, both sides of the coin, and from there come up with action plans. And it will be the case will be different for every single medical school. Um, so I can speak on... A case example would be the University of Nottingham and what we've created is a diversity and inclusion um, steering group which not only um, has members of staff that are um, in senior positions but also medical students and I feel like having that platform in order for both staff and students to come together to speak and to work together to, to create potential solutions is really, really can be really really impactful and it's something that other medical school other medical schools should um, should consider I am, I'm a chancellor of a university and I'm a visiting professor and I observe universities black people have been in this country for over 400 years why has, where are the black leaders of the medical schools? Because I'll tell you now, if you had black leaders of medical schools, as you do in America, we wouldn't have the differential attainment. So that brings me to the point. What is the job of leadership in a medical school? You are responsible for the culture you create. And if black people experience the kinds of things that affect their academic performance, and let's, let's not muck about, you all know this, academia is about relationships. 
When, if you are smart, if you are good, if you fit, somebody will put their arm around you. They will guide you through the academic process. They will tell you what papers to write, which books to read, which things to do. That's how it works. And if you're black, you're not in the loop. That's why there aren't black people at the top of our academic, um, academic institutions. Let's not muck about. Medical schools need to be put under the same kind of scrutiny as other public sector organisations as to why the leadership, black, white, male, female, allows that kind of culture to occur under their leadership because they are responsible. The reason why leadership's difficult is because you are responsible for the culture you create. It's, it's not, it, you know, in that sense, it's not difficult. And if as a taxpayer, I'm paying for medical schools to make it difficult for black people to graduate, and that is not good value for money. Forget about the morality of it. One issue raised, and unusually in this sphere, potentially resolved at the meeting, is the idea of setting up an observatory into racism, a body which would both scan for the data, do the research and make recommendations on ways in which the NHS can actually start changing what seemed untractable until now. Victor, Marla and then Simon talking about that. Data alone doesn't make change, but the trouble is that unless you have data, and the NHS is a data-driven organisation, I would argue that it tends to um, fetishise um, quant over qual, but it is a data-driven organisation. So you do need data, and you need that data to be dynamic, because one of the reasons why we're here is that these things tend to be episodic. And as the evidence clearly is, this is it's a systemic issue that is dynamic and over time. So the point of the observatory, from my position, is to continue the excuse remover, but not just presenting data on... Um, the plight of doctors, this, this issue isn't just about doctors, I'm sorry, but it's about the impact of racism on people. You know, the, 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 the articles in here about AI, the articles in here about research discrimination. So the idea of the, of the observatory was to continue to provide data on the impact of race um, so that leaders can not, not only have the data but can start to in, um, produce actions that actually deal interventions that deal with it. So Simon asked about what can we do. Um, uh, in recruitment, if you look at the work of David Williams, there's, there's, a, there's at least two pages of specific research-based actions that organisations can, can do that would absolutely reduce racial discrimination, no question. Um, similar things around cancer programs, for instance. We know that, that BME people tend to not only have a worse experience, but worse outcomes of cancer services, despite the fact the aggregate figures look good on cancer. Well, an observatory would give us that data and would actually give us a sense of what to do when we're designing those programs. So we don't say, well, the cancer program's looking brilliant, and then there's some black people at the back going, not for us. Right? And the same goes for mental health. So that's why I think the observatory is important. It's, it's an intervention at a systemic level that continues to put pressure on leadership, both political and executive, to keep moving forward on this agenda. One of the things that um, appealed to me was, was this notion of an observatory rather than an, uh, creating an academic department you know, that looked at race and health. 
or indeed um, suggesting that a state-run department like the ONS or NHS Digital take on that additional function. The thing about observatories is exactly as Victor said. It has, um, by just, just historically, if you look at other models of observatories, and we've got some very good ones, um, European observatories, we've had public health observatories, which have been very influential in this country um, in, in, in past years. What they're able to do is, first of all, set their own priorities, but then you would expect uh, observatories to be run by people who are fabulous at horizon scanning and are really masters of that particular focus of attention of the observatory, and they know what it is to... Uh, uh, you know, to hone in on uh, when, when uh, rapid analysis is required. The other thing that, 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 that uh, um, distinguishes them from academic departments is that they're not going to say, well, we'll apply for some funding and we'll come back five years uh, uh, later with, with, with a result for you. But they recognize that you need uh, rapid analysis, you need um, rapid conclusions. And they have the. They, they end up with the uh, with the kind of uh, gravitas to uh, influence policy. Most of the places I go to end up with some kind of shakedown where I'm kind of uh, asked to put my hand in my pocket for a worthy cause. And this sounds like it might be one. Um, but well, hang on there, Fee. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's just. Uh, so I mean, I actually think um, to tell the truth, what uh, Victor and Margaret said uh, certainly helped me kind of understand what the what the proposition is because I don't. To be blunt about it, I don't think just more data on NHS workforce questions is probably the missing link here, and that's not what you're saying. So that's what's uh, sort of revealing about it. There are things we are going to do to richen the uh, res work. So there's going to be a medical res element specifically that will kind of draw out uh, some of the very specific uh, layers of uh, racism and stratification in the medical workforce. So I think to some extent, I don't want to duplicate what we're going to get from that. But I think what you've said in a way is something much more profound than that, which is that actually in terms of the differential inequalities, health inequalities and outcomes that our patients and communities are getting, uh, some of that will be mediated by the racism inside the NHS itself, but there will be other factors at work too. And there's a, one of the papers or references in this edition of the BMJ is looking at the um, differential maternal uh, mortality rate uh, and the fact that, frankly, the Embrace work, which is superb, nevertheless has not actually managed to pinpoint uh, a lot of actionable insights uh, to do something about that. And so an observatory that was, put it this way, an observatory plus uh, that actually focused on sort of actionable insights and looked at some of these uh, health inequalities in outcomes for patients and link that back to the uh, diversity within the NHS uh, workforce, I think would be worth doing. And if that's what we're talking about, then yes, I'm willing to uh, help fund that. As we come towards the end of this podcast, we're going to turn to a very 2020 issue, identity, and how that can colour the way in which we look at this. If you're white, you might be reluctant to talk about race and racism. If you're poor, that's a multiplier on the effects of racism. Also, how broad categories of identity, ethnic minority, for example, might actually mask an individual's experience. Talking about that are Simon Stevens, Marla Rao and Olalade Obadari. This country 
does well and is quite comfortable with class-based analysis, uh, but actually finds race and racism much less so. And I've noticed the difference, even frankly, between spending time working in the US uh, versus here, where it's almost flipped on its head. Um, and that's partly because we are less comfortable having a conversation about our history. Uh, it's partly about... Um, you know, the sort of broader... I mean, so you, you think about sort of the spectrum of opinion right now, I mean, between uh, a conversation around uh, white privilege or white fragility through to how to argue with a racist. Uh, sort of, those are sort of different approaches into the same, into the same question. And so I, I actually think it's perfectly legitimate to say, given that, if you accept that that's true, we should actually be much more intentional on race. But... I think there are certain things that flow from that, uh, which is that we need to avoid getting ourselves into uh, some kind of zero-sum culture war, which actually is, will not serve any of us well. And actually what we're trying to do here is uh, we are trying to be true to our better selves as individuals, as organizations, and as a country. And the intersectionality <laughs> issue is important. James Nasro makes the point that the most disadvantaged people in this country are black and minority ethnic older people and because they're excluded from research they're excluded from everything and all of our discourse we have no idea how their poverty um, actually then reinforces the racism or the other way around and exactly how it is that we can best serve them okay this might be a little bit controversial <laughs> but i feel as though the term bme in itself is a little bit of an issue because this is not taken away from the fact that we all uh, we all experience some levels of discrimination and some barriers which to no fault of our own we just do however i feel like having the term bme is one big umbrella in which you clump together different um, ethnic minority groups experiences together and what I found um, like you said is that um, Asian um, Asian medical students tend to thrive a, a little bit more than African Caribbean medical students and that is you can find that in any statistics or observatories and when we use the term BME and we say okay this is what the BME experience is you're not really um, specifying which part of the BME you're talking about because what you'll find is that the black experience is very much different from what the Asian experience is although there is some um, there is what you call it overlap and there are some similarities it is still very different and um, I think that's really really crucial to highlight and it's something that we need to consider. So that's it for this event and this podcast everything that our guest talked about is discussed in the Racism in Health issue. That's available at bmj.com slash racism in health. We'll be back next week with more on this. Yvonne Coghill, Director of the NHS Workforce Race Equality Standard, will be joining us to talk about their work and what she's doing to tackle racism. That will be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. So subscribe so you don't miss out on that. I'll leave you with Simon Stevens, who has a hopeful message about the NHS and its role as this major British institution in moving the dial on racism. As well as being uh, self-critical and honest, I think we should also be hopeful. 
And the reason I say that actually picks up something that Chan said uh, in your opening thoughts, which is that really the very point of an NHS is that it is more than just providing high-quality care for individuals. Uh, lots of countries around the world have found ways of doing that to a greater or lesser degree. The point about the NHS is that it is actually a shared social collective commitment, and it's a commitment to not just excellence but also to fairness. And in just about every community across the country, uh, the NHS represents actually uh, the biggest source of uh, job opportunity, the most trusted social institution, uh, and that is something that we can capitalize on at a time when, frankly, the country does need to come back together. And it is a remarkable tribute to the enduring, if changing, nature of the NHS that we remain and need to continue to earn the right to be the most trusted social institution in this country.